All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Type 2 Patterns podcast. Off to a good start. All right. Awesome to see each of you. I am super excited to get into this and uh, ask you some questions. But before we begin, would you introduce yourself? Tell us your first name and where you're from. Miriam from New York. I'm Eva from Dallas. My name is Anthony, and I'm from Wisconsin. And I'm Chrissy. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Wonderful. Well, welcome to each of you. Uh, the question that we've been tossing around really came from one of our, it's been a panelist. He's a wonderful guy that just uh, has a lot of curiosity and asked us a question about our panels and said, you guys talk all the time about patterns whenever you do a podcast or frequently. And you talk about the pattern of the type. What is that? And what do you mean when the pattern stops working? So we thought, well, let's explore that and let's have you tell us <laughs> how it shows up for you. So uh, we'll begin with you describe your core motivation as a type two, and then we'll jump into the pattern, how that shows up as well. So start. let's start with the core motivation. How would you describe the core motivation of the two? So I think the core motivation, obviously, everything about a two is connection, but connection is, for me, is rooted in this great desire for love, love with someone else that will make me complete and restore me and, and make me the person I'm supposed to be is, is what I live for. And I get that love through connection with other people. Mm. For me, it comes up in the word belonging. I feel like anywhere I've gone, I just wanted to be a part of something. You know, and that comes with the connection and love. Like we see you and you bring value here and we love what you do. Um, and so anytime I've been with my family, whether it's also in a professional setting or even when I go to the store, I just kind of want to be a part of the experience. I want to be there for you in any way that I can. And so I do that because one, it feels good. But again, at the, at the end of the day, I just want to be in my bed knowing that I'm loved and I'm not overthinking of, did I make someone upset and then question my relationship with that person? And so that's why I, I need that affirmation that I'm okay with everyone. Yeah. I think obviously connection, being wanted, being loved all really resonate with me. Being liked really resonates with me. I want to be liked, <laughs> you know, but I think I see in myself that desire to connect with others deeply. It feels like my purpose. Like it just feels like connecting with people, holding space for them is like the best thing I could live my life doing. So I feel like, I have a lot of attention there for sure. And I'm going to jump on that, Chrissy. That's actually, I think, where I find more of the core for for me is connecting with people, that connection with others, and even connecting others to each other makes me feel really great. When I've been able to meet that need, help that individual out with a different connection, not necessarily me doing it, but connecting them to somebody who can um, assist them. So yes, that wanting connection, that being loved, absolutely. I've also added being valued. I think is a mm -hmm. different aspect to it than just the love, but also being valued. Um, so maybe more in the professional sense, um, mm -hmm. having that value. Mm -hmm. 
I mm. love this. Each one of you are bringing like different words and different, mm. and it's beautiful. And it's uh, trying to get at that sort of core, you know, essence, the attention, the energy of the type. So yeah, really good. Thank you. The core motivation, however you each languaged it, has a way of trying to, f- to get that need met, the need for mm-hmm. connection, the need for love, the need for value, all of those needs. Um, and that is what we're calling the pattern or the strategy. How does the type do that? And so in general, we're going to get more into the specifics of how that has shown up in your life. But in general, how would you describe that strategy? Anthony's smiling, and I'm, I think I'm probably thinking the well, same thing. How do you put it into well, words? It, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because I think the strategy is always different because when I go into a space, I kind of get a sense of like, I'll go with this kind of concept. It's just when I have gone into previous like work situations, I can go into the room and fully understand like the vibe and my mm-hmm. type one supervisor is all ready to get to the logistics. I'm like, can we just check in and, and make sure we're okay and part of it is because I, I want to share how I'm feeling and, and where my emotions are coming from. But I also can say this person is, I can tell that they're not doing well. So let's allow them the opportunity to speak. And so it's, again, looking at other people's needs and allowing them to do that. And part of it is I find joy in, in doing that. But part of when I'm suggesting something, the undertone is that I'm also wanting to to share how I'm feeling and and so it's different because in certain situations, I don't feel like I have an opportunity to do that because I just don't always feel like seen. And that's where I struggle as a type two, because I don't want to feel invisible. I want to be appreciated for what I'm doing and, and not being used. So I think for me, it's being intentional in the spaces that I come in and making sure that I'm not just allowing people the space to to show up. But I'm also giving myself the permission to voice how I'm feeling and find that courage to say, well, I need this as much as it's hard. You know, it's, it's just finding that courage to do so. I think one of the beauties and gifts of a two is being able to feel someone else, like their emotions, which then allows you to like customize. Um, I say Mm. customize, but, but an assortment to, to customize or cater to that person so that if I meet you in this space and I make you feel seen, that you are going to return that to me. And so it really is the ability to create this connection. And most people don't even realize what's going on. I, and I don't even think I realized for a long time that that's what I was doing. It's, it's an intuitive pattern. It's like, I need this. I need this for myself. And if I meet them where they are and they feel good about themselves, they will surely return it to me. I love how you said that it's intuitive because I think that's true for all nine types is that our pattern isn't something that we've sat down and wrote out some strategy at like five years old. Here's how it will never be hurt again. Or it's just like, it's instantaneous. I don't even realize it. Sometimes it just naturally happens and I catch myself. I'm like, boundaries like take a take yeah. a breath and a step back you know because it, it does come naturally like you know eva said like this sometimes it's just so intuitive and then when it, it's not received i feel like i just got stabbed in the heart or they told me you know i'm no longer their friend when they didn't say good morning to me and i thought well that friendship's over <laughs> so yeah. it's just yeah. yeah i agree with that it changes from where depending on where we're at personal home family, extended family, friends, music, wherever I'm at, the pattern 
it may shift a little bit depending on, again, what the need is at that moment. Um, so it could be, for example, in the music arena, I'm there ready with set list music, ready to go for everybody. So I'm prepared for everybody because I want to make sure their needs are met so that we have a cohesive day or rehearsal. That's just one example, but those are the different pieces. And, and it's hard to create those boundaries too. Like Anthony brought up a great point of boundaries. It's hard when it's so intuitive to then take that step back and take a look at really what's going on and saying, do I really need to be in that space? Do I really need to jump into this at the moment? Mm -hmm. Do I have the energy to jump into it at the moment? So Mm. yeah, Mm. there's a, there's a bunch of different factors there in it. uh, Yeah. Cause you might not even tune into your own energy. That's interesting. You might not even recognize that you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Interesting. Yes, I I agree. I feel like I often don't realize my tank is empty until it is like completely (laughs) empty. (laughs) Oh, gosh, how did I not have a gauge for this? Like, you know, and I was thinking about how when I was younger, especially like I realized that I had a really hard time sharing my opinions, especially if they weren't, Mm -hmm. you know, the same as my friends or I would just kind of want to go along with what other people liked or what they thought was cool or what they liked Mm -hmm. to eat or, you know, because that felt like, oh, we're going to bond over this or, you know, they're going to feel more connected to me. And I definitely, you know, didn't want to express needs or, you know, take up too much space. But even beyond that, what I was thinking about is how I always kind of felt like certain emotions were really off limits to me because they would threaten relationships. So like anger Mm. was like completely off limits to me. It felt like for until the last few years where I've seen it more and I've not known what to do with it, (laughs) but it felt like a straight line to rejection for me, like that emotion just felt like other people can be angry and I'll, I'll even like sit with them in their anger and support them with that and think they're totally justified. But it felt like that was something I could not, I could not have personally, because what if someone thought, Oh, you're out of line and it led to rejection. That was really scary for me. I think any two that has been listening to this is like a hundred percent on board, but for the non twos, like I, I just want to point out what I just observed because you talked about here's the need that I'm wanting to get met. And then just the pattern, the strategy to get it met. And Anthony talks about making sure that other people are seen. Eva talked about adjusting myself so that other people experience mm-hmm. something. Uh, Miriam brings up, serving people to make sure they have what they need. Chrissy talked about like not bringing certain emotions forward because they're going to create disconnection. So there's this jump that if you're you're outside of that world of going, well, how do these two points connect? Here's the need. And then this felt like we went around a barn and then (laughs) through a field and over a hill. And I'm not sure how we got there. Like, how are you getting the need met? You're not. I'm not, not all the time. Mm. I think a huge point, and I think that's when you begin to realize the pattern doesn't work. You know, mine bubbled up in the form of anger, like almost like rage. I couldn't tolerate anymore. And I mean, it was against everybody because I was just done. And I'm so tired of listening to everybody tell me what to do, when to do, how to do. And then I realized I don't even know how to do or the need. And that is where you shift out of the pattern is I don't, I don't even know how to articulate the need. What is that? But I know I have one. 
Mm. Mm. So I'll jump in on this because out of pure, my pattern not working for me and some other challenges going on in my life where my reality crashed down on me real fast. I had the benefit or the blessing, I should say, of being able to kind of jumpstart a process before we even knew what the Enneagram was, but really work on some of those things that I'm still working on, but, you know, working on some of those things. And I feel where the need gets met for me is not necessarily with the overemphasis of the allocate. Oh, you did great. Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Because then I go to that to that aspect of, are you really being real or are you being fake with me? So there's that like, ah, there's my cynicism that comes in and goes, ah, maybe maybe you're off somewhere. And I think what, what was really striking is my needs and my emotional health and my response are my responsibility, not anybody else's responsibility to fix. So how does that need get, you know, I found for me a simple, thank you. Simple. Thank you from someone makes a world of difference for me that that's saying I've acknowledged what you did. I appreciate it with just those two words. That's it. Or if I see them reciprocating in a different way, in their way, their type that has you know, I have found my, my needs being met in that regard without putting that on somebody else or responsibility on somebody else to do so. That's the only way I can explain it, but it's a lot of inner growth that has to happen <laughs> to say I'm okay if somebody doesn't say I appreciate you or I love you every single time. I'm okay with it because I know my worth. I know what I did. I know where I stand. So it's it's a work in progress. It definitely <laughs> It's not an easy thing for our type to do, but it is definitely freeing when it gets to that. Mm. When you get to that level and are able to let go of those chains almost. Yeah. And I think, of course, true connection, the thing we desperately want, all nine types want that, but like everything we do is focused on that can only come through vulnerability and being open and, and allowing like, even anger, allowing some of the emotions that we have a hard time, you know, taking up space with sharing our needs. It's absolutely terrifying to share our needs because the fear of rejection, but it's the only way it's the only way to get what we truly want is to be truly open with our people, with our trusted people and having compassion for ourselves the way we can have compassion for others. Yes. All day, yeah. I think all of us, we could sit with someone and have compassion and tenderness for someone, you know, whatever emotions they were displaying, whatever they were going through. And it's really, really hard to give that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But it's really part of the work for us, for sure, I think. For me, I think I've had to take complete ownership. Like I've had to put apart the pattern and put it back together like a puzzle or like a mosaic. And it's taken me a while to take ownership on kind of my journey and my needs. Like a lot of the work I do is is for other people in regards to mental health work, recovery work. It's it's holding space. It's giving them the compassion and love. And at the end of the day, I'm just like, I'm worn out. I'm my bandwidth is completely empty. But something I did recently, well, two things. Not too long ago was my birthday and I took myself out on a date, just me. Like it was just me having dinner by myself, like went to the movies. And typically I like my past birthdays were filled with people who I wanted to be with, but I just wanted to be with myself. And to me, that's a growth moment, you know, to not feel like I was missing out or I needed to have all these people 
tell me how much they loved me. I just needed to do that for myself. And then with my job, I had to reach out and be honest that I was needing accountability. Like Chris was saying, like, it's hard to be vulnerable and, and to sometimes we are afraid to show some emotions because like, I don't want to be looked as like weak or not good enough if I voice like my struggle or voice the things that are not working for me. But it's about finding those right people that you do feel safe with that don't shame you or judge you and see you because we're sensitive souls. We just need those people to be genuine with us. Not like you got this good vibes only. I don't want that BS. It's like it's all vibes, all things, all feelings are welcome because I do have anger. But I have joy and I'm and I'm trying to figure it out how to talk about it you know because I want you to talk about it I'm here for you what do you need a glass of water let's do it like you have the space <laughs> I give the space for myself so it is a daily practice and it's like a daily commitment like you have to constantly recommit to yourself there's something I've seen though and I've had this conversation with other heart types where they almost see it as a weakness that there is a need from others. And I also don't want like that message to get stuck in people's heads that it's, I think there's this cultural message that to need things from other people is somehow a weakness or it's a somehow a character flaw. Like, I just don't see it that way. I have a hard time with that. I think it's like, it's actually a beautiful thing that the, that people who have this capacity to make the connection will make it with me and when I'm able to reciprocate, then it like brings something new out of me as well. Yeah. And so I understand there's like this tension there where it's kind of like my identity cannot reside within the other. But also, I don't want to see it as like a character flaw or weakness that I do need from others. And that connection means a lot to me. It sounds like all moving the needle a little bit more over to the other side. Because in one sense, the needle can be all pinged all the way to the other side, which is like sure. the only way I get anything is from the uh, approval, affirmation, you know, appreciation of other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's, a, it's like even taking yourself out on a date, Anthony, is like a moving the needle a little bit in the other, mm-hmm. in the other direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really good. I also feel like I know that like I am okay to like share my needs. And like, I think I just have to continue to remind myself that I can be human, but it's nice to have other people to say that as well. Like it, it's just like, I don't refer to said like, just like the simple, thank you. Like the simple of like, you can share, like you can, you can be you and, and don't have to feel like you have to perform or, you know, don't worry, just like be like, I know that, but like, I just get caught up. Just It's intuitive. We just, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's like a routine yeah. that every day it's where we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say like a two, a type two has no concept of self-care. So, Anthony, I applaud you for taking yourself on your date. I mean, I remember going to dinner for the first time by myself thinking, this is horrible. What is everyone going to It is not intuitive. It is intuitive to love someone else, to connect with them. And yet it is very foreign to even connect with myself. Like I was a byproduct for so long in my own life, in my own story. And so... I know that, you know, Joel, you have said it. We have everything that we need. And I tell myself that every day. And I tell myself that I love myself every day. Part of it was a lie in the beginning, but one day you start believing it, right? Like, it's, it's, how do I ease into this? Because it's uncomfortable. And, and when you've played this role with so many people in your life and you finally say, I've had enough and I'm setting this boundary. Oh my gosh. It is like a worse nightmare for me. I think for most two, it's like internally destructive. And yet it is the most freedom 
you will ever give yourself. Mm, And those that really love you that have been reciprocating, you just couldn't see it are still standing there. And like, they are applauding you like it. it, And it's worth the risk. And I think that's the the two needs to come to. It's worth the risk to just, I can do this. I can do that and be your cheerleader that you are for everybody else. I've watched so many people that I've loved to get so far. And I'm like, can I do this for myself? Yeah, I can. Yeah. I can. And I, you have to believe that. Yeah. You, boy, there's so much richness in that. One highlight is I love how you said people who have been, who have been with you, who are still with you, yes. who love you and have been reciprocating, but you didn't see it. Really, really, really key point there because that's the growth of the of the two where the pattern starts to loosen a little bit, the strategy loosens a little bit, and the very thing that you're made for, and this is one of the things we keep saying is every type has a need, and they're actually made for that thing. It's not like it's a mm-hmm. it's a problem. You shouldn't you shouldn't want so much of it. No, that's not. It's the strategy. It's the the pattern that we use to get that that doesn't work. As effectively. So now you can start to see like, oh, people have been loving me. Interesting. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Miriam, I think you were the one who were like, uh, you, you question the sort of affirmations and appreciations that come your yeah. way. Interesting that I don't know of a type two that doesn't do that. Like they yeah. say, you know, it's very difficult for me to take that. Like when someone does that, some things come to my mind, like, what do you want? Or you, you try, you know, there's some manipulation, yeah. something, you know, going on there. And that also depends on where it's coming from, too. You know, in certain aspects, you see it coming and you're kind of going, all right, what else do you want from me now? What more would you want me to do? And that's where I go instinctively. It's, you know, with certain people, you know, or someone comes walking into my you know, work, stupid thing, comes into my office and says and just sits down and goes, they never do this. It's very rare when this happens. And they come in and they'll say, so how's your day going? Seriously, two times. This happened in the past couple of weeks. And I looked at the two individuals who asked me that and I love them to death. And I looked at both of them and I said, why are you asking me that? Are you about to ruin my day? And they started laughing. They're like, no, we were just asking because we were asking how you doing? How's your day going? We never ask you this. You're always checking in on us. And I just sat there. I started laughing. And I caught myself and, and I did it twice in the same week. It wasn't even like I learned the first time I said it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. after the second time, I went, oh, maybe maybe they actually do care. <laughs> they want mm. to know. <laughs> so it sounds like it's not that you stop needing from others, but you actually are able to start receiving from yes. them. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So the third question is, how or when did you see that pattern first, you know, emerge? I mean, when can you look back and are there stories, are there experiences where you can look back and go, yeah, you know, I look back now and I can see the pattern right there, the strategy kicking in, or maybe a series of experiences. And even if you can't recall that, what's the general sort of like, uh, my experience caused me to behave this way from an early age. I just don't have a single memory. So when I was preparing for this, I was thinking about like, I know a lot of the two patterns in my life, but the anger thing I thought of because I do really feel like it's kind of this line from that to rejection. Like it just feels like a really strong tie. And so it scared me. But when I was a kid, when I was really little, I think I expressed a lot of anger, like my little kid's express because kids are trying out all of their emotions, right? And I also had a pretty unstable home life. 
And when I was six, my dad left. Uh, My parents separated. My dad left and didn't communicate with me for like a year or so. And, you know, I can't remember ever having a thought of like, these are the behaviors (laughs) why he left. But I definitely felt like it was my fault that he left. Totally. And it kind of makes me wonder if that was a piece of it, like, I was really angry. I was really acting out. I do know like through the rest of my adolescence and definitely into teen years, I was a pleaser for sure. And I do not remember having many angry outbursts. So yeah, I don't know. I think it was residual from, from that. I think there were other things that came from that, but I definitely saw that shift in my childhood of like, okay, this is bad. Like this, you know, I want him to come back. So maybe I can, not do that anymore. I cannot act out anymore. So it feels pretty tied to that for me. I don't think I see a time that it really wasn't there. <laughs> if I look back, so most of you, I think two of you already were introduced. So Joel is my older brother, but I am the youngest of five. He's number two out of the five. And uh, I think I always found myself doing things or serving or helping or connecting in different ways, even if it was the boys were messing around. And I laugh about this. I kind of joke around now, but it was always fond memories for me of, hey, Miriam, let's go out and do this. Jump on the sled, let the dog pull it, you know, in the snow. (laughs) Sure. Okay. All right. Great. Let's go. You know, so things like that, because for me, that felt, even though then I didn't know it, I look back now and I said, that was my connection with my brother's. Mm -hmm. That was my connection with my siblings, what I was doing with my brother, Sam, or my brother, Joel, or my brother, Jonathan. And those were the connectors for me. Um, and over the years, it, it continued in different aspects of me. I find helping, so it's the best term I have, or serving my siblings in various ways. My mom passed early on, and my sister was already married with kids living, you know, in the same home, but in a different apartment. So a lot of those responsibilities, I think, you know, the, the maternal responsibilities kind of fell on me by default. Mm-hmm. But I can't say I hated doing it. Yeah. I, you know, I enjoyed cooking for the family. I enjoyed some of those things. And then there were other times I'm like, all right, enough's enough. You know, I'm still working on my schooling and and doing other things. So I've always seen it. You know, if I look back now, I've always seen it as being a pattern um, and being my type and working really well in some aspects and then other aspects also not being great. I think the pattern for me is it's recent. It's honestly when I got sober, like that gave me the permission to fully like give more dedication to me because the the root of my unhealthy drinking was to to for that belonging to kind of be a part of something and so it got to a point where I was it got out of hand and it's because I thought like if this is what is what I should be doing to have friends then that's what I'm going to do and then it just got to a point where I lost control and it was like okay I have to focus on me and not take so much of the energy into other people. And it was really hard. You know, that was a really defining moment because so much of how I saw myself was in those social social situations and to to kind of be that person that people wanted to be around. And But then eventually it wasn't working. Like no one wanted to be around me. I didn't want to be around me. And I think that moment when I chose to, to stop you know, drinking gave me the permission to really give attention to to myself. And that was really 
you know, empowering because, you know, I just wanted, again, that belonging, you know, like I, I connect with Chrissy, like my parents divorced when I was six. I just want like to have that perfect family. And I was, and I was afraid to express my frustration. And then coming out when I was 20, I wanted to be accepted in a world that, you know, doesn't always see, you know, gay people as, as equals. It was like all these different factors and getting sober was the tipping point. And it's, done me well so um it's just giving me the permission to really focus on me I would say I was always the sensitive kid super super sensitive and uh lots of of anxiety physical anxiety which would drive my eight father uh up the wall with a nine mom who I was everything she did not want to have to be a mother to, right? Um, I mean, it's all changed, but it was definitely in that pattern of people-pleasing. Like, I just wanted them to love me. So I became the fixer of things. You you know, you're the peacemaker, uh, even though you would take the heat just to make things calm down again because that made mom and dad happy. You know, you just get into these patterns. And I, I speak at length about playing the role. Everybody had a role in my family and you kind of get tired of it. And I think I literally just had enough. So I just really, uh, COVID was probably the biggest catalyst. I mean, there were other things leading to it, but for me, COVID was one of those moments where everything stopped and I was by myself for so much time. And I just exploded. I just, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, I can't, if, if I have to be locked up, I better love myself. So <laughs> You know, I better I better find another way to do this because this just doesn't work for me. And I don't want to spend it was like a rebirth in a weird way. But like if I, I'm coming out on the other side of COVID, I'm going to come out better than I went in. And what does that mean? What does that look like? And what do I need to do? Because it didn't matter what it cost. You know, surely it was better than this. Mm. Yeah, you've both of you have talked about, you know, Eva, you and Anthony are talking about the the tipping point, sort of when things started to move in growth. Um, I'd love to hear from you, Miriam, as well. I think you'd mentioned even, you know, earlier in the podcast that there was an event that caused you to have to, you know, start doing your work even before you ran into the Enneagram. And Chrissy, you as well, I'd love to hear from you as to what was that tipping point for you? So a tipping point for me was when my reality, and I, and I say this and. Joel is very, very much involved in this process of growth. My ex-husband was arrested for pedophilia out of my home. And I was in a six-year marriage, uh, two young kids. I have, they are now not young, but they were at the time um, not even two years old and not even four, just about two and four. And I was already in an abusive situation. It was emotionally and verbally very abusive marriage, Um, actually verbally, emotionally and sexually very abusive marriage. And I was at that point of like I knew something was wrong before he was arrested. I knew it was a week and I'm, I'm not even I had just come home from Massachusetts visiting family for Easter. And on that ride home, I'm like, he's got to switch something. Something's got to change. I didn't know what. I didn't know how. I just knew something had to change in order for me to move on. And if he didn't, and I said in my head, he's got a week. He's got a week for me to see remote change. Or I'm packing my kids up. We had one vehicle between the two of us. I was packing the kids and I was driving back to Boston. 
I had no plan. It was, this is what I was going to do, which was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Even thinking of that. Um, Cause he controlled everything in the marriage. He controlled our bank account. He controlled what I wore, who I hung out with, who I spoke to, even my family, who I was allowed to speak to. So there was so much control and so much grooming that had taken place prior to me marrying him that I was like, I think Eva, you may have mentioned, or somebody mentioned being a shell of yourself and really not living in your life. And that's what I felt like. Like I was looking at my life from the outside looking in. So I didn't get that week because the police showed up at my house at two o'clock in the morning. And it was a, it was just a, it was a Friday, April 5th, 2002. That date is, I mean, seared in my brain. The events of the day are seared in there. And that one day, I, I can't even express the amount of emotions and the amount of just mm. anger, mm. anger, betrayal. I mean, every single emotion you could possibly think of came out of me in a matter of 24 to 48 hours to the point that my friends who were with me had no idea what to do with me. They're just looking at me go, uh, we have no idea. I'm on the floor, hysterical crying. They have no idea what to do with me. I wouldn't eat. I couldn't, they couldn't get me to do anything. And it was because I hadn't processed anything. I hadn't processed these emotions. I didn't know what these emotions were that were happening on top of it. I now have to figure out my life. So that was really the trigger point right then and there. It was your life is no longer what it was, what you knew for the past six years and maybe a little longer gone, done. Now what? And to think like you had done everything in this relationship. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everything. Above and beyond as a two. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he said, he said, jump. I said, how high? It was, what do I do? I was in everything that we, that I did was revolved around him. It was to serve him. It was to serve my kids. I remember the emotion that when my son was born, that was the first time in a long time I had felt pure joy. Hmm. And it was holding him (laughs) that that joy came back a little bit. Yeah. So catapulting that, I didn't want my kids to see me in this manner. So what do I do now? I have to start growth. That took a long time. It took a long, I mean, I'm still growing, but even at that moment, I mean, hours of conversations with my family, with other people I respected and I counseled with, and it was years, years of undoing all of that and still falling into those patterns that, (laughs) that were maybe not the healthiest patterns in terms of serving others, because that's all I knew. That's all I knew was jump. Somebody says something, jump. And it was things that he had said to me about serving. And he would take that, your type, even though, again, we didn't have a word for it. We didn't know it at the time, but he would take the qualities and use it almost against me. Like if I didn't do something, it wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. Hmm. And, And I have, I mean, so many examples of that, but, you know, and then I feel guilty. And then I find myself apologizing for something that I look back and I go, this wasn't my fault. I I had no reason to apologize for it, but I was apologizing to keep the peace until I got to the point that I started yelling and then I gave him the silent treatment and that didn't go over well either because that person doesn't like silent treatment. So it was poking and prodding. So when all that happened and my life blew up, I was forced into, (laughs) or I should say, I say that, but I still had a choice. I still had a choice to either stay in that or move forward. And the one thing, Eva, you were saying, I look in the mirror and I said, I, I love you. Mm. And you said it until you believed it. The words for me were, 
I'm doing good. Mm -hmm. I didn't care what anybody said. It was when they picked up the phone and said, how are you doing? And I could be a blubbering mess. And the first words out of my mouth had to be, I'm doing good. Because one day I was going to be doing good. So it was that reaffirmation of, yes, I'm okay. I'm okay. I may be struggling, but I'm okay. So yeah, that was a blessing in disguise, a huge blessing in disguise at the time. But that catapulted my growth and, or I should say didn't catapult it. It kind of moved the needle a little bit. Um, I had to get through all those, that anger, Chrissy, that anger was rough to get through. And when that anger hit, yeah, yeah, I didn't curse until I didn't start cursing until that day. (laughs) And then every single one of it came out. Every single word. All at once. Too, I just was. Well, hey, you were drawing from your type eight. And, that's uh, right. That's right. I was pretty comfortable with uh, <laughs> language. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I know that's a a big story and one that uh, yes, uh, I remember that very vividly. It happened yesterday, <laughs> but to see where you have where you were and what where you are today. Wow, what a huge difference, you know, and and so, you know, I I admire you and I admire people who do take a really painful situation like this and and they transform through it. None of us transform because we think it's a good idea. You know, we we transform because we have no feeling like we have no other choice, you know, but like you said, you could have continued down the oh, path. Yeah. We'd always Oh, yeah. So it's not, it's not as if you don't have another choice, but it tends to be the thing that uh, you use the word catapult. I think it is a pretty good word. It is the thing that catapults us to, uh, I've got to really do my own work. I've got to, you know, I, I've got to take the reins of my own life in some way and begin to change. So thank you. I think for me in 2018, my mom passed away and it was a really big loss for me. It was, she was my best friend and my second child, my daughter was two weeks old and we drove up to see her and we missed her by about three hours. She had passed away. So I never got to put her in her arms and that like destroyed me, (laughs) but I kind of found I had already lost my father. So he died when I was 14 and I went through grief with that. But this was so different. I mean, my mom and I were extremely close and there were just a lot of feelings that I didn't expect. And anger was one of them. And it would just kind of come out of me. Like sometimes it felt involuntary because I I had to raise babies and I had a, a newborn and I was nursing all the time and I was sleep deprived and I felt like I needed to hold it together. I didn't really, for a good bit, I was in shock and I didn't really feel like there was space for me to lose it. But of course it always comes out. So I'd be on my (laughs) yoga mat and it would just come out. Sometimes it would be weeping and sometimes it would be screaming and you'd know I'm a self-pres too. So you would know when I was like, flying through the house, cleaning everything, like there's anger (laughs) brewing under there. But I just, I kind of realized like, there's nothing I can do about this. Like this emotion is here. I can't tamp it down anymore. And then in in the following years after that, stuff with COVID, injustices in our country, things that I was seeing that were really affecting me, I I felt more anger. I was expressing more anger, which felt really scary. But it, it, I also feel like 
I don't really know what to do with it. So I'm still trying to learn how to like honor anger and let it be neutral. I'm trying to teach my kids that emotions are neutral and I don't feel like it is. If I'm honest, I feel like, well, that's bad. (laughs) Probably parenthood is also part of the tipping point. (laughs) Yeah, it is for a lot of people. Yeah, Yeah. they are teaching me, you know, and as I'm, you know, sitting with them and their feelings and letting them feel all of it, as long as they're not hurting someone, I let them feel all of it and express it. I'm realizing I need to be able to do that too. I can't model it if I can't model it for them. Um, And so it's ongoing work for sure. I think that's all contributing. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I love your openness and, and, uh, and what you've shared and the depth too. And and uh, just some really really good things here. Here's what I did for surprise for the other podcasters that I didn't prepare them for. Uh, that I will do to you as well. <laughs> I want you to name one thing. You've mentioned a few things you're doing. You're doing well, and I celebrate that. I really do. You can repeat that one, or you can pick a new one. But uh, share something that not that's going well, but that you're doing well in your life right now? Boundaries. One thing I'm doing very well with boundaries where I've been able to take the steps backwards and say, no, no is a really great word. Let me tell you, (laughs) not all the time, but no is a really great word when you're two and you finally find how freeing it actually is. (laughs) It's at work. It's in personal being able to, not feel like I have to take care of everybody's needs mm-hmm. at work. Somebody needs my help with something. Sure. I can help you give me about 10 minutes because I know what my timing is or no, I can't help you right at this moment, but when I can, I will meet up with you and I'm going to show you how to do something. I'm not going to do it for you. That was very hard for me. Very, very difficult. I think that was the last thing that, that I kind of let go of was showing other people how to do things that would take me 30 seconds to do because they all needed to know how to do it. That's helping them help me in a a huge way. Um, But it's also the boundary of not jumping every single time somebody is saying, I need your help, I need your help, I need your help. In the friendship aspect of it, same thing. You know, they got used to me jumping at everything. And, hey, I need you to babysit. Could you babysit? Could you do this? Could you do that? I know now I'm getting better with learning when my tank is, is running low. I'm not great at it. Hence the reason I have, I'm on antibiotics right now, but you know, those boundaries are so incredibly important and so incredibly freeing. And it still allows you to be connected to your to the people you need to be connected to, but then they have a healthy respect of you and a healthy respect of your boundary. So I found when I wasn't giving those boundaries in, when it, when I didn't have those boundaries, I got really resentful. Mm-hmm. And, and Joel and I had very, we were having conversations about this. I think last time I was up there and I said, yeah, the words that come to my mind ends up being F you. Like, I don't want to do this for you anymore. And I don't want to do this for anybody because I got so resentful of the fact that I was being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. But whose fault really was that? Mm-hmm. And that was a hard lesson to learn too. That was my doing because I did not set those boundaries. So boundaries are incredibly important and those boundaries lead to giving yourself grace so those weekends where i'm always trying to meal prep for the my kids are adults but 
trying to meal prep, prep for my family and have things ready. And, oh, they're going to, they're not going to starve. They know how to take care of themselves. And I've had to sit back and, and say, no, I need rest right now. I need this. I need to recharge. I need the rest. And I still felt a little guilty, a little, I kept having to remind myself, give yourself grace, give yourself grace. You're not feeling good right now. You need to sit back and and take it easy. Hmm. Um, So that's where the boundaries come in. It it comes in in every aspect. And I feel finally, after so many years of trying to set them, I'm doing that well. So yeah, I mean, it takes years. Oh yeah, (laughs) I tell people all the time, like it's not. This is not. This is not an overnight thing. It's not a weekend warrior style of growth, you know. So yeah, thank you. I realized how disconnected I was with my own body. And it was just this byproduct that I could use when I needed it to. Um, so I have been working, did a different program in the fall, um, connecting to my body and now practice through, you know, work with my nervous system and connecting to my body, breathing, just really honoring what the body is and how wonderful it is. And actually started like this workout program that like focuses on the connection with the centers. And so really it's like bringing it all together. So focusing on my wholeness in that way and I'm doing it well. Mm. I love that. Super important. I feel like I'm doing really well with being honest about my emotions. It's, I feel like I've been able to really, share my honesty and my struggle or, you know, or even like with an opinion, whether it's at my home in relationships at work, I, I've been doing really well with just being honest with myself, with, with other people. And, and when I'm alone, like I love car therapy. Like I love being in my car and talking to myself and like allowing <laughs> myself to truly voice what's going on. Cause it's, it's a sacred space. No one can interrupt me. I can say as mm-hmm. much as I want. And mm-hmm. I got my music to keep me going, but it's mm-hmm. like today I, it's raining here in Wisconsin a lot. And it was just like the per- perfect reflective weather. And it just mm-hmm. allowed me to like process mm-hmm. so much that was like heavy on my heart. And some of it was just like good things. Like I was giving myself some gratitude. Then I was also just voicing my anxiety and fear. And it was just, it was really important for me. And I don't like to hold it all in. That's when mm-hmm. I feel out of control and then it, I can explode and, and it, I don't like to be in that space. So I feel like I'm doing well with letting the emotions breathe. Mm, really good. I feel like mine's a little bit of a mix of Miriam and Eva's cause I feel like I'm connecting more to myself, to my gut. I'm taking a beat before I jump to say yes to something like I compulsively like just ask, you know, what can I, what can I do? Or even just wanting to be with people, which I do want to be with people, but kind of checking in on my tank, seeing how it's full, seeing how it's empty. It's pretty essential in this stage of life for me. My three kids, they're little, (laughs) you know, so, so I really need to do that to be my best for my family. And again, not great at it, but I, I think I'm doing a good job at pursuing that. But even further, I feel like I am checking in with myself before I offer to do something, yes. say yes to do something to, to see what, if there's an underlying motive there. 
Am I trying to really secure this relationship? Or do I feel like I this brings me joy? I have the space to do this. I want to support this person and I can. Um, or am I expecting maybe, you know, we never expect like you're going to do the same thing in return. That's not, it's not this like <laughs> conscious manipulative thing. It's just, we want to be loved. We just really want to be loved. <laughs> and so we hope, you know, a lot of times in our, all our investment in relationships that we'll, we'll be secure with those people, that they'll love us, that we'll be, tr- you know, trusted by them. And so I'm really tuning into my motives and like, okay, wh- why is this, wh- is this answer as pure as it can be? Or is there something behind that? And if there's something behind that, then maybe I need to say no. It's, and that's hard. Um, I don't want to let people down, but I think it's something I'm, I'm doing a lot better at. So. Wonderful. Thank you so much to each of you for your stories, your truth, your vulnerability, uh, and your wisdom. It's just a gift, a huge gift to all of us. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.